how y'all doing? Welcome to the Sound of Water podcast. Hope y'all doing well, staying hydrated for real, you know how it is. To all my AAPI brothers and sisters, happy AAPI Heritage Month. And just overall, shout out to all the Asians holding it down everywhere, man, for real. We are back momentarily to have a conversation regarding the Stop Asian Hate movement. The Atlanta spa shootings on March 16th, 2021 propelled this movement to the front lines of news outlets and social media, bringing people of all different races and backgrounds together to show love for the Asian American community. However, in recent weeks, the movement has seemed to slow down and lose momentum, at least in the national spotlight. Today, we will be trying to answer the core questions of why Asians continue to get hated on and not taken seriously, and whether the Stop Asian Hate movement is just the next trend to take over social media. Thank you all so much again for tuning in. I'm David, your co-host, and this is the Sound of Water podcast. Yo, what is good? Welcome to the Sound of Water podcast, where we got chill talk, hot takes, and always room temperature water. We are back, and today we're going to be talking about the Stop Asian Hate Movement brought us out of hiatus to talk about this. And as always, we got your boys, Josh and David, and we got a very special guest on today. Her name is Olivia Wong. She's a Chinese-American entrepreneur, award-winning humanitarian, Miss Asian Global, and the senior partner at Prototype Thinking Labs. Welcome, Olivia. Thank you so much for yeah. having me. Gentlemen, I am so honored to be here today. And thank oh, you for great. joining us. We're, we're very excited for this. Yeah, we are pumped. So before we like dig too deep into exactly like the Stop Asian Hate movement and stuff, we just want to learn a little bit more about you. Can you just delve a bit into your experience and your background? Absolutely. So I'm a first generation Chinese American. I was born and raised in San Francisco. I currently live in Vancouver, Canada. So right now I am sitting on the unceded territory of the Musqueam, Salatooth, and Squamish people. That's important for me because I'm a guest right now on their land. So a little bit about me, born and raised in the city, grew up, went to school at UC Santa Barbara, and then immediately went into humanitarian aid. I worked in Zatri, which is the largest Syrian refugee camp in the world, and in Fukushima, Japan, after the nuclear disaster. After a couple of years of building my own nonprofit, working in philanthropy for a foundation, and doing a lot of activism and social justice work, I eventually started my own company, and I co-founded Prototype Thinking Labs in 2016. And we are an innovation lab that teaches a methodology that was descendant from Google Sprints, Lean Startup, and Design Thinking. And I know that's a mouthful, but uh, that's essentially what I do. Last year, right after the uh, protests after George Floyd was murdered, I participated in my second beauty pageant ever. And during the pageant, I was forced or I was asked to answer a question on police brutality. And it was actually that question, it was 20 seconds it led to me winning the pageant. So that's how I became Miss Asian Global. Mm. Wow, that's sick. I did not know that. Goodness, and we had so much about that on, on some of our previous episodes, David. 
Yeah, I'm curious as to what you said. Like, uh, if you're, if yeah, you're do you okay remember like kind of what you talked about? Of yeah, what was your I, answer? Of course I do. Of course I do. <laughs> so I. So if you know anything about me, it's I don't hold back. I'm really not scared to say what I think. And in 20 seconds, I talked about dismantling white supremacy, which I think threw a lot of the judges for a loop because we aren't necessarily, we're not a liberal pageant. We have people from all backgrounds, all walks of life. And I even remember being coached on the Q&A section and I was told to, to, say, to say a response that would be a reflection of what I personally thought, but that wouldn't be controversial. And mm. I didn't prepare my answer, but I spoke from the heart and it was actually the answer that allowed me to win the pageant. So yeah, white supremacy. <laughs> That's what I spoke about. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, um, it kind of threw them for a loop because all the judges were white or something. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, right. oh yeah. <laughs> I, I love uh, that line. You dismantled white, sem- white supremacy in 20 seconds. <laughs> yeah, there we go. We're good. It's forever on um, the internet too. <laughs> oh, okay. Maybe we'll have to link that. That's yeah, we'll dope. link that mm-hmm. for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I'm just really happy to hear that you have all this experience, like talking about racism and talking about things like police brutality. And I wanted to get, or me and David wanted to get some insights as to you as a person, especially as an Asian American woman, and how like you have kind of uh, experienced these different things over time. And, and I know specifically offline when we were talking, you've had a little bit of criticism that because you have like success and like you have influence and stuff like that, that like you're somehow immune to racism. Can you dig a little bit into that? Yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up. Since the Asian hate crimes have started, which really started to rise actually in 2020 at the start of February and May of last year, but it has continued to surge astronomically, not only in my hometown of San Francisco, my home country of America, but in Canada, which is where I'm now in. I have received more hate than I have ever in my entire life. Hate letters, uh, vicious comments, DMs, people expressing rude, uh, racist, sexist comments to me while I'm speaking, presenting in front of corporations from the audience themselves. And it's been a really interesting experience because I've never had been on the receiving end. Um, it's, It's something that has really allowed me actually to take a better look at where people are coming from because my immediate reaction is always I freeze, you know, I I don't know exactly what to say. And it's actually something that has taught me how to be a better ally, how to be a better bystander, and how to counter speech, especially if I hear something that is derogatory, or, or, you know, rooted in sexism or bigotry. Something happened to me actually yesterday, I was giving a talk and I usually I'm not going to say the organization, I love this organization so much. And we're pretty much like aligned on our vision and mission in the world. But I was speaking and someone in the audience said, basically, what the F is she doing here? What does a beauty queen have to say? Why is she a speaker? And they mm-hmm. didn't know that I was on the call Wow! because I was just about to get teed up to speak. And immediately my heart just sank and I didn't know what to say. But because I actually had so much training and I have developed resilience in countering this kind of, you know, very blatant, but public hate in the moment, it was easier for me to transition out of being in a victim, sort of in the victim seat. And 
what really kind of stuck out to me about that experience is that's what's happening to our Asian brothers and sisters every single day for the last year. We've had people who have been called slurs at work. They have been the victims and the recipients of just bigotry and hate and violence and sexism and misogyny and also ableism and homophobia. And I completely have empathy for it. I even, you know, I sat down afterwards, I cried. Uh, my partner hugged me. We talked about it. I, I told my friends. I surrounded myself with people who were affirming me. And then I sat down and I wrote out a new talk that I'm going to be delivering to another corporation at the end of the month on counter speech and bystander intervention. So that's a lot of what's happening now. And it's not even the first time that I've experienced racism. I know you wanted to ask me about my previous experiences. I was a child when I first experienced racism. I was seven or eight. A man yelled at me in Florida and he called me a chink and told me to go home. I didn't really understand what that meant. Then later I was a teenager. My parents were dropping me off to go see a friend. And as they were waiting for me to, uh, to get to my friend's door, a couple came towards me from the opposite direction and they told me to go effing home back to China. And I was a teenager at the time, still didn't really understand what that meant. And ever since that moment, you know, I've, I've received a lot of racism, but not in the sense that it's in your face. It's not the, you know, uh, the, the words Kung flu virus or go back to China. It's very subtle. It's actually, it's more rooted in, in the sexualization of Asian women, I would say. So between the ages of 12 to now I'm 29, I have received so much of the sexualization and the fetishization of Asian women. Things like, you're, you're really attractive for an Asian woman, or I really like Asian women. Um, are you down to, you know, beep, beep, beep? Uh, just so much. I mean, it's, it's really a landmine going out there in the world. But that's a lot of me talking for 30 minutes about what I've just shared. I should probably just take a moment to settle down and step back and let you see if you have any thoughts or comments to what I've just said. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good. Like, that's great. I think you gave some great insight into not only what you're going through now, but also what you've gone through in the past. And I definitely don't think like this is anything new for you. And and even for like for me and David, like we've talked about these things before, too. You know, I remember being called like a, a chink in the schoolyard and stuff like <laughs> that. And so I think these are all experiences that a lot of Asian people share. But like you said, it's generally not as blatant. Like it's it's just like a subtle little remark here and there. And then you're like, uh, should I let that like become should I let that blow up or can I just kind of let it let it go? And I feel like a lot of a lot of us have been letting it go until recently. And I think this stop Asian hate movement is really like a big shift in that kind of reactionary response that we've been having. So, David, you want to dig into that a little bit? Yeah, definitely. But uh, before we actually go into that, I, I'm like really glad you're bringing up all your experiences because uh, I think there are like layers to your experience, um, especially being a, a woman in business and an Asian woman in business. So before we dive into the Stop Asian Hate movement a little bit, I'm curious as to like how you how you keep yourself motivated to like just fight through all that BS and like is you have a pretty extensive resume and you're you're quite successful. So I'm just wondering like. What, what you do to just, you know, keep that fire going. The amount of love that I receive is, is a no comparison to the hate that I receive. Mm. You can't even compare the amount of support and, 
you know, admiration that I get from younger women. I've had so many people reach out to me and say, thank you for standing up. You're the Laura Croft of public speakers. You mm -hmm. are just able to sort of slay with your words and you're not afraid. And that fearlessness actually makes me not afraid. So anytime I've posted something on my Instagram or shared a comment uh, on, on social media or spoken up for a, a group of people, I have always received amazing, amazing support and love. And I really think it's from that unconditional support from my friends, my family, and my community that emboldens me and it empowers me to do even more. And something that has also really helped is understanding human behavior and psychology. That to me has mm -hmm. allowed me to see people from a more neutral perspective and to have more respectful conversations, understanding that we are all on a continuum of growth and development. Some of us will get past stage one of morality and some people won't, and that is just human nature, right? So something that has personally been very valuable for me is this model called the six stages or levels of morality by Lawrence Kohlberg. What we're seeing now as a trend is that younger people, younger generations are really waking up. They mm. are aware that they're not the only people around them and their suffering is not the only suffering that matters in the world. And so I really feel hopeful and I feel empowered that, for example, my partner's sisters who are probably like five to eight years younger than me, so they're, they're in their early 20s, they're so incredibly aware of human suffering that they what they do in the world it's about building justice and equality and making sure that all voices are heard and really looking out for those that are the most vulnerable the most marginalized the most disenfranchised and this is not a trend that i i would say is is something that maybe we saw 50 years ago or 100 years ago but that to me is a symbol of success and it's a symbol of progress and that's literally what keeps me up every single day mm, love that and I, I think that's actually a perfect segue into us talking about the the stop asian hate movement um so as we know there have been almost nearly four thousand incidents of asian hate crimes that have been reported since march 2020 which is when uh the covid um shutdown happened in the u.s and all around the world but um they're saying that the, the number of Asian hate crimes uh, have actually increased by 169% in 15 of America's largest cities. Um, that includes 140% in San Francisco. Um, New York City saw an increase of 223%. Uh, Los Angeles saw an 80% 80, 80 increase and, and Boston saw a 60% increase. And I think what's interesting about the Stop Asian Hate movement is I think embodies the, the Asian experience in a lot of different ways. So what you were just mentioning, um, Asians have historically been seen as just like the quiet, obedient group of people in the US. Uh, and with this movement coming up, it kind of goes against the grain of what Asians are normally known as. But there's also been a lot of reports saying that the amount of Asian hate crimes happening has actually been understated because of what Asians are generally known to be and their and that is like not wanting to speak up and feeling invisible to the public eye. And as we see the movement kind of slowing down ever since the, the Atlanta spa shooting, it seems like there's not as much traction on social media and people are just kind of not talking about it as much. Like I was saying, it, it kind of embodies the, the different Asian experiences in, in the US. Um, so with the Stop Asian Hate movement, um, like. What are your thoughts overall on how important this movement is 
the general perception of it. And I think you mentioned how you had been involved in, in a couple of different ways. So if you could just go into that. Absolutely. And I just want to take a second to thank you for so eloquently laying out the facts. I think it's really important to share and disseminate information that is, that is uh, truthful and reliable as well. And the statistics that you shared are also reflected in the research that I've seen. In Vancouver, we're seeing a 717% increase in Asian American hate crime or Asian Canadian hate crimes since the start of 2020. I know it's astronomical, right? And I think you brought up some incredibly important but poignant points around there's this narrative that we are quiet, that we are docile, that we are submissive, that we are law-abiding citizens, that we are the good model minority comparatively to the problem minority, which has historically been labeled um, a label for uh, Black Americans. And I think what's happening now is our community of 23 million people across the United States are waking up to the understanding that the model minority myth is hurting us and it is dangerous Mm -hmm. and it is killing us, quite Mm -hmm. frankly. So where do we even begin? Well, the first thing is I was surprised to to hear that the Stop Asian Hate movement is slowing down because in my world, it's only speeding up. Over Mm -hmm. the last month, so many organizations and nonprofits and businesses have reached out to me in an effort to try to raise awareness for this cause, but also stop and end the violence. And I mean, I, I just can't keep up with the inquiries. They're coming out of the woodwork, which is really wonderful to see that there is money, dollars, resources, training and time and effort being invested into educating more people, not just inside of companies and brands, but you know, throughout the networks that every single one of those members will touch. Hmm. I recently spoke for Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer, Cancer Center, which is an institution in New York and they have 23,000 employees. So we had a talk that was able to reach over 20,000 people. It's now recorded, it's forever on their server. I think that's a really good start. Um, I personally was involved in a protest. Well, it's actually, we called it a march. It was not much of a protest, but a march in Vancouver. And what was really interesting about this march is that Vancouver is has a, a high majority population of Asian Canadians, Southeast Asian, South Asian, East Asian. And at this march, there were probably about 30 people, which is a fraction of the size compared to the anti-masker protest that was happening just adjacent to us in the in this center square. And also adjacent to us on the other side, a protest for our brothers and sisters in Myanmar who are fighting against um, the military junta there. So mm. this experience was it, it was quite a bit of a shock because as I was marching two days ago, I had people shouting slurs at us uh, from buildings, from apartment buildings, as we were passing them on the streets. And then we got to the square where there were other protesters and our microphones were drowned by the noise that was being created by these other protests happening left, right, and behind us. And so I think it was a, a very powerful metaphor for what it is like to be an Asian American right now, which is, it feels like people don't care about us. It feels like we care about everyone else, but at the end of the day, no one is willing to stand up for us. No one is willing to stand behind us and to fight for our liberation and our freedom to just live. You know, I've had conversations with friends about this. I've hosted quite a few talks on my Instagram 
about violence against Asian women. And one of my friends said, she said, it just might not be in the cards for me to live. It just might not be in the cards. And that's the reality that I have to face. And so what do we do? We keep our heads down. We put our masks on. We put hats on. We walk with friends. We carry pepper spray. I have to buy, you know, um, pepper spray for my family. I have to make sure that they have access to self-defense training. It's, this is the reality that we live in, but it should not be the reality. Man, I got that resonates with me so much because my uh my wife bought tasers on amazon Mm. for herself and then we're actually with both of our moms right now so my mom and her mom my mother-in-law and then so we got three tasers and i gotta say those things are loud and scary (laughs) but it shouldn't have to be that way yeah i mean it it really just kind of hit home for me when that happened when we got that box in and it just really like became so real like my wife just straight up feels that afraid for her and our family that she felt the need to protect our, to protect her and them. It's just, it, it, you're right. It just really shouldn't be that way. Well, I, I've always said that Asians are like the forgotten race. We're like the invisible. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the minor, model minority myth. And I think just in general, there's just this, uh, I don't know, there's just this idea that people just don't really take Asian issues seriously. I think, I think Asian hate crimes isn't, isn't a new thing. I actually, it's a fact. It's not a new thing. It's, it's been around for a while. (laughs) (laughs) And I know that through my lived experiences and also just through my parents lived experiences of living in LA in the eighties and the nineties. And it's just, it's really encouraging to see uh, Asians like standing up and going against that, you know, that, that, identity that's been placed on them, um, which is why I think this movement is so important. Um, I was, I brought the point of the, the movement seeming to slow down a little bit. Um, and I think that more so has to do with just overall media coverage and what, what people are posting on social media. It seems like there was kind of an emotional high a couple months ago after Atlanta and it seems like it's kind of slowing down and maybe that's just a natural thing of what happens with movements, but relative to other movements, Um, It just seems like this one, my thing is like, why does it have to take like a mass shooting for people to take Asian seriously? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I think those are really good points. And I just wanted to quickly touch on them before we, you know, move forward with a different topic. I did some research on unemployment and job loss and inequities in job loss during COVID. And this is just part of a lot of the research that I do when I prepare for my talks. One of the first ranking searches in Google was written by a university professor who did a study over the course of COVID on different races in the United States and their experiences with COVID and Mm. unemployment. Asians were left out on that study. The study Mm. purported that it was the largest, most comprehensive study to look at inequities and that Latino women had faced the highest job loss. That is incorrect. And so I actually had to write my very first public and academic complaint letter to this university (laughs) professor because I think that's a really gross, that's a very uh, gross oversight. And also I think it is very damaging to our community because the numbers show, and there has been research and I can actually link this in the show notes for the podcast, but Asian American women have experienced the highest job loss and unemployment rates 
short-term mm. and long-term since COVID, we have 44% unemployment comparatively to women on average, which is 36% and white men, which is 7%. Mm. Goodness. Dropping facts. I did not know that. <laughs> yeah. Goodness. Um, well, I think that we have to kind of have a talk about the Atlanta spa shooting because that really was the, that was the event, like David said, that, that really ignited the movement. And since then, I mean, at least for me, like it, with my social media and stuff like that and the media coverage, it does seem to be like kind of slowing down from that, from that igniting event. I mean, that's almost mm -hmm. like the Trayvon Martin or the George Floyd of like the stop Asian hate movement, kind of, you know, and um, I want to just delve a little bit into it. So that happened March 16th, 2021. And it was a 21 year old male who shot and killed eight people at three different spas in Atlanta, Georgia. And six of them were Asian women. Seven of them were women. And then one was, a, I think, a white male or a Hispanic male. Um, and why that one is so particularly interesting is because it ignited this movement, but it actually hasn't been unified. It, it hasn't been uniformly declared a hate crime. And there's a lot of controversy regarding it. And specifically, that's because the killer said that his motives were strictly religious and about him trying to el eliminate his sexual temptation. And um, I, I just really think that we got to kind of talk about it. Um, Olivia, do you have any thoughts about um, the Atlanta spa shooting? And was it a hate crime? So, you know, so why don't we provide the facts and we'll let the audience and the, and the listeners decide. So like let's first talk about the definition of what a hate crime is. A hate crime is a crime that is motivated by the basis of gender, race, religion, sexual orientation, or ethnicity. So if we talk about just the probability of chance that the shooter had killed six Asian women in a state that has 4% of a population of Asian Americans, there's something wrong with that statistic. Why is 75% of the victims Asian American when there are only 4% of the population uh, Asian Americans in Georgia? That's the first thing. The second is three out of three, so 100% of the businesses were Asian owned and operated. 100%. And then the last thing is there has been reports, there were witnesses that the shooter said, I want to kill all Asians, but it was not picked up by Western media. It was picked up and translated in Korean on Korean newspapers and news outlets. Mm. So that is a fact. It was reported by journalists. Um, it's not in only one report. There are different media outlets that have confirmed this with the, the key witness that was at the crime, the scene of the crime. So with those three things, it's very likely that we can even say that this was a hate crime, yes, but what really makes it a hate crime? It is a hate crime because the shooter discriminated on the basis of gender. Specifically because he associated Asian women with a sexual temptation. I feel you. <laughs> so I've been I've been meditating on this a lot and I um I read several articles, I watched videos, and I did see the same thing that you said, um, where one of the witnesses said that he said 
I want to kill all Asians. And that was not recorded and or reported in Western media, but in South Korea, like their, their newspapers and things like that. Um, but, and then other people though, they, other witnesses there said that he didn't say anything. He just shot people. So I, I kind of wanted to take a different approach and I obviously wasn't there. And, but I want to kind of dig into what you said about what constitutes a hate crime. And I think that if we look towards the Black Lives Matter movement, it can expand that definition in a way. And what I mean by that is when people think about hate crimes, I think they typically think this person came into the spa and was like, I want to kill all these Asian people. And some people will think that's the only way it can be a hate crime. And I will say, if he did say that, then that's totally a hate crime. But (laughs) I also think about, let's say with like Philando Castile or Trayvon Martin or George Floyd, if we, if we use that same strict sense of definition for hate crime, does that mean that those officers would have specifically had to think in their heads, I want to kill this person because they're black. And then if they don't, then it's not a hate crime because I don't think we follow that same train of thought. Instead, what we do is we, is we deconstruct it and we look at why the officers are seeing those black people as a threat. And I think that once you expand that definition and understand that, well, they see that black person as a threat because of historical racism, because of white colonialism and and prejudice and all these different stereotypes and characters that associate black people with being criminals and drugs and gangs Mm -hmm. and all this stuff where the officers see these black people as like, oh, this is going to be a disobedient person that I have to like control. And when we look at it in that lens... I think you can apply that same sort of thing with the Atlanta spa shooting, because like you said, he's associating Asian women with sexual temptation. So right down the street, there was a lingerie store and a, and a strip club. I mean, why didn't he just go there? And, but I think that if you look just historically with the U S there's just like this long history that you can trace as to how that happened. And you know, even just specifically with uh, the Chinese Exclusion Act in 1882, per, the precursor to that was the Page Act of 1875. And then that one specifically barred Asian women because they thought that they were coming here to be prostitutes. And you have that historical precedent set. I mean, what was that, like over 100 something years ago? And then you have all of those things that evolve over time. And then you have the the characters of, of people in like nail salons and, or not nail salons, but like massage parlor parlors, mm-hmm. like, Oh, we'll love you long right. time. All that kind of stuff. Like it's just, right, right. it's, it's destroying all of these different perceptions and creating this one narrative of what Asian women are just sexual objects. There's a reason for that. What does that help someone do when you can say she's a prostitute, she's a sex worker, she's only a sexual object. It allows for higher exploitation, it allows for sexual violence. It is connected to higher rates of trafficking and abuse and domestic violence. It allows men to objectify us, to dehumanize us, and then it's easier to have power. And quite frankly, it's easier to murder me if you don't see me as an equal. So going back to the the, the spa shootings, mm-hmm. um, I'm just going to play devil's advocate here Let's for a little it. bit. So yeah. do it. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of people forget uh, that 
Less than a week after the Atlanta spa shootings on March 22nd, 2021, there was another mass shooting in Boulder, Colorado. 10 people were murdered in a grocery store. And since the Atlanta spa shooting, actually, there has been over 50 mass shootings in the U.S. So I see that, and this isn't just with the Stop Asian Hate movement, this is with the Black Lives Matter movement and any other kind of like movement similar it seems like there are all, always going to be a group of people saying that, well, it's not always just about race. And by hyper-focusing on race, that we're ignoring other issues at hand that might that might have been the motivation actually for the, the Atlanta shooter. Um, because we do know that he belonged to a very extremely right Christian church that preached against like killing your temptation, which is actually what he, the shooter, said was his motive is because he wants to kill sexual temptation, right? And he learned that from church. Uh, that's one thing. Another issue that I think people are, are saying that are, is like being ignored. Um, internet pornography is obviously a, an always a large issue at hand. But then there's also another big issue of like gun reform. Like, are we, are we not focusing on the right issues here? So Olivia, I want to get your thoughts on like, is, is this, stop Asian hate movement, just like the newest media narratives that we're deciding to focus on? Is it just like the next popular thing that people want to rally behind? Because they're like what Josh was saying, we haven't uniformly come to a conclusion. And actually the the police department, the Atlanta police department hasn't even officially ruled the Atlanta spa shootings a hate crime. So are we like ignoring other issues at hand by like hyper-focusing on race when maybe that's not even the biggest issue that started the movement? Those are all very valid points. And I see the, the legitimacy in all of those arguments. And the first thing that I'll say is when we are talking about Asian American hate crimes or we're talking about Black Lives Matter or we're talking about domestic violence or gun control and gun reform, when we are speaking about a singular issue to be, to say, let's go point fingers at something else and we'll, let's look over here is to one, diminish the importance of the, the topic at hand. And it's also, it shows that we are not very good at sharing the spotlight with issues that really, really, truly matter. And that need to be center stage because of the injustice that we're seeing and the astronomical and the asymmetrical amount of violence that we're seeing. So I'm happy to talk about any of those other issues. I think they were equally important, but because today we are talking about Asian American hate crimes, that's what I'm going to focus on to give it the respect that it needs. The second thing is I do hear that people are saying, you know, why are you making this about race? I've had people call me a race baiter. I've had people yeah. say, you know, you, you're just trying to, to see everything from the lens of race. And I'm like, oh, honey, right. you, you know, because, <laughs> because first of all, let me just say, people who typically say that also have conveniently forgotten that their, that their society, that white culture, designed a hierarchical system around race. Mm -hmm. We have systemic structures around race. So we can't remove race out of the equation. It is literally built into the foundation of what this country stands for. Everything must be seen through race because we are living in a racial system. Now, if white supremacy didn't exist, then I, didn't, I won't have to talk about race. Uh, so that's my response there. Um, but is this, a, is this hype? Is this a new media narrative? I wish that you could say it, it was, but the same sentiment that someone wrote to me in a hate letter that was over 10 pages long, I read it and it said, Chinese people are so wealthy. 
you are so successful, you don't experience racism, you're taking our jobs. And it's so funny because I read that letter and I was like, hmm, this is the exact same reason why in 1858, there was a massacre of Chinese people. Uh, the Tacoma race riots in 1858, that happened. Um, hundreds of Chinese residents were, were torched, burned, mutilated, slashed, murdered, drove from their homes. It's why in the late 19th century, we still continue to see racist immigration laws and national quotas because it was historically built into this concept that Asian Americans are foreigners, Asian Americans are outsiders, and they will for never ever be American, no matter if they're born here, if they're in the army, if they work for the military, if they've sworn and they pledged allegiance to the flag, if they are, are patriots, it doesn't matter because they are foreigners. So I don't think this is hype at all. I think that what I'm experiencing today from people who have sent me hate letters is exactly the same sentiment that my ancestors, my ancestors faced, my grandparents faced, my parents faced. So to say that this is just a hype has really erased the history and the heritage of what it means to be Asian American. Mm. Great points. That's funny because that, that touches on one, the, the Page Act and the Chinese Exclusion Act, because those were inspired by in the 1850s, especially with the gold rush, all and all these Chinese immigrants came in to fulfill these railroad and mining jobs that nobody really mm -hmm. wanted. And then now when the economic downturn happened, like in the 1870s, now it's like, oh man, it's the Chinese people's fault. Like we got to stop them coming in. And then in the same thing, a hundred years after that, you had Vincent Chen. So that was 1982. And then he was beaten with a baseball bat, rest in peace, God bless his soul, because two white men at a bar blamed him and Chinese and Japanese people for taking their automotive jobs. And you're right. I mean, this, these kinds of narratives have been going on for so long. And I really think that one, it's just that, I don't know, we, I feel like Asian people are a pretty easy scapegoat because one of the things we spoke about before was that our culture, I would say that's one of the main driving factors is that we're just kind of more like, like, we don't really want to cause conflict, we just kind of want to keep moving and stay under the radar. But we're seeing a lot of that shift. And I think that that's what that's my my interpretation of why the stop Asian hate movement is so important, because that represents a major shift in like the overall kind of like conscious i guess of asian americans are like nah like we're done like we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna start speaking up like no more oh for real but i want to say you got a 10 page hate letter <laughs> yeah that's, oh, that's many, not just one <laughs> i mean Sent that's like a grad school paper <laughs> I know. I you know I've it, never was, read well, it was very well written. Sources and footnotes. <laughs> it was, publisher and everything. Yeah. <laughs> it was well laid out. My goodness. I well, don't think I've ever read a ten-page for... paper, man. <laughs> yeah, kudos to you for persevering through all that stuff, because man, that's a lot. Yeah, and I mean, I think you bring up a good point. I mean, I think the cool thing about the Stop Asian Hate movement is, despite all these other issues that are definitely at hand, like gun, like gun, gun control is always going to be an issue in America, but I don't think that gives it any kind of reason to overshadow what is happening to Asians. I think, I think people are going to try to use that to undermine the movement. Um, like, like 
it always happens against Asians. Uh, again, it's just people not wanting to take our issue seriously. And it's like, well, y'all got all the tech jobs. Like y'all, y'all got money. Like why, why should we care about like a couple of people getting beat down on the street? You know, like you, you guys are good. And, and then it kind of becomes a, a contest of like who's suffering more, right? Like, oh, well, black issues mm-hmm. are more important because they've suffered more. But it's like, well, it's, it's not a contest, first of all. And also th- just because they have suffered doesn't mean it, it doesn't take away from us, right? So I, I do think that this movement is important, like extremely important because like Josh, you were saying, I think it signifies a shift in the narrative against Asians that we're like, we're just not going to take it anymore and like we're not going to be like violent and wild about it but like we're, we're trying to like have our place in this country right and mm-hmm. it definitely validates like the asian and the asian american identity and it's really cool to see asians banding together to like to demand to demand the respect that we deserve so i i wanted to share this list and i found this on asian creative network on facebook someone shared it last month and it details um, all of the companies in the U.S. or just globally known companies that were actually started by Asian American founders. And when I first saw this list, I like I was pretty shocked because there's some pretty big names on here. So I'll just read out some like the big ones. So YouTube, LinkedIn, Zoom, DoorDash, Peloton, Pinterest, Yahoo, Fitbit, Twitch, uh, Old Navy. Uh, this one kind of hurts to say, but I guess Panda Express was started by Asians. I always just joke that. <laughs> hey, I always joke that it started some white people Chinese food, but I'll, I, I'll leave my words on that. Yo, Panda but, Express ain't bad, man. It ain't bad. I've had a lot no, of good days at Panda Express. Same. I'm just a hater, man. But when I saw that, I was like, I was like, I can't hate no more. I got to support yeah. my Asians. I get Panda Express tonight. Shoot. <laughs> but um, back to my point, though. Uh, I think it's really important for us to, I guess, as Asians to really own our place in this country and to celebrate the different accolades and achievements that have been, that have been accomplished by Asians in this country. So Olivia, when I see you doing what you're doing and like having you accomplish, seeing you accomplish all these things, like, I think that's awesome. I think you just got to keep doing you, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Thank you. I feel the same way about you too. We have to celebrate Asian joy and pride and be proud of how hardworking we are, how talented we are, how much we love our families, how much we're willing to give back to others. Those are the parts of my culture that I am the most proud of. You know, there was something that you brought up earlier, which I think would be really great as we're sort of getting to the closing thoughts, but it's the implicit bias test from Harvard. So many of us, if we were born in a system that is inherently racist, may not be aware that we have specific ideologies or tendencies that skew towards different types of people. And my partner and I took this test. I highly recommend anyone listening to take this test. We can also leave a link in the show notes. But essentially what it does is it helps you uncover your subconscious reasoning for how you interact with people in the world, whether they're female, whether they're non-binary or trans, if they're black, if they're indigenous, if they're Arab, if they're Asian or South Asian. And it's, 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 it's very eye-opening. You think you have a certain way of being and then you take the test and you're like, wow, I didn't realize I had a strong preference for European faces or African-American faces. And I think it will really help a lot of people open up to um, the, the biases that we hold and the prejudice that we hold that we just aren't aware of. 
Hmm. Yeah, I've heard of things like that. I'm gonna have to check it out. I've had like I know that they tried something like that with the police, but it was it had like mixed success. But <laughs> I I definitely believe in the idea of it though, because uh, for me personally, I think that bias like that is so difficult to quantify in terms of like reporting like okay we're going to implement this with a police station and we expect to see 20 percent less black deaths it's like okay i mean but i think the first step is like just conceptually recognizing that those kinds of biases can and do exist and specifically with what you're talking about and also just related with everything we spoke about in terms of the historical roots of racism in america that one race has always been and I think will always be an aspect of America specifically. Um, like we literally have to write, like check, uh, do a little checkbox on what race we are whenever we go to the doctor. And I think that um, those aspects of white supremacy and just like colonialism and just having different minority groups underneath the dominant white culture that's so deeply ingrained in mm -hmm. our culture that like it's so difficult to even recognize that it's there like i like when these sorts of things happen i feel like it's so easy to dismiss them as like oh that's not really a big deal or oh that that just kind of that's just a one off thing but that's just because it's so it's like as American as apple pie. It's like, that's mm -hmm. just, that's just the way things are. And, and I, I love what you said, Olivia, in more towards the beginning of this, of this episode, where you're seeing kind of like a shift in the subconscious of the newer generations. And I, I absolutely yeah. see that as well, mm -hmm. in terms of just people growing more, I would say empathetic, more understanding, and just kind of aware of these different things going on. And I think there are pros and cons to that. I mean, me and David have kind of talked about it. Um, it can definitely kind of like get too much to where that kind of becomes like your idol, I would say. But but overall, I'm so down for it. Like, I, I really just want all people and especially Asians, like I really want Asian people to really hop on this stuff, not because it's a trend, but just because it's important, you know, like stand up for your community and when you see these things going on like educate yourselves and just like get get moving like make a difference absolutely don't do it because it's trendy do it because it's the right thing to do and as human beings we have an obligation to look out for other people who are part of our mm -hmm. species mm. yeah i mean asians asians gotta look out for each other but not just for each other but like especially for each other you know what i'm saying yeah. and mm -hmm. and i always say like you know being asian it it doesn't like mean anything in a good and a bad way right it doesn't mean that you have to be a certain way or that you are a certain kind of character and it also means that you can't do something just because you're asian and that goes for any race so like just because you're black or mexican or uh, or asian or even white <laughs> like doesn't mean that you can't do anything just because of like your race and i think as this next generation gets more and more like like woke i think we just need to you we need to like kill this idea of like just like i don't know just racial separation right like or racial identities like so i don't know absolutely um, with that being said though um we like i would love to hear some of your closing thoughts olivia on like um one thing is like what, what can we do um like what are some practical steps that we can take to help the movement and to educate ourselves more 
um, regarding the stop Asian hate movement and just in general, like how can we empower each other and the, the Asian community at large? So for non-Asians, you need to listen and educate yourself. It is important. It's not just an Asian issue. Black Lives Matter is not just a black issue. It is a us issue. So I really believe in cross-racial solidarity. I believe that this type of solidarity that transcends cultures and ages and generations is the antidote to hate. Because if we can see each other truly as our own neighbor, as our friend, our family member, we won't treat that people the way that we have been treating them. I think for Asians specifically, we really need to have these conversations within our own community. Talk to your aunts, talk to your uncles, have conversations around the dinner table about this because we are experiencing a level of trauma that is compounded by the past. And so it doesn't feel safe. We talked about this. It doesn't feel safe right now to be an Asian American. And we need to be able to move and process through that trauma with our family members who will create safe places for us. I think it's also very important that um, as Asians, we reach out to other communities and we build bridges between other cultures because we can't do this on our own. And we know that we've seen that, right? We can't be the only people speaking up for Asian lives. And so I've tried to do as much as I can to build solidarity and love and connection between the Asian community and the black community, because I really believe with us working together, forging unity, that's how we end this. That's how we stop the violence. And we have way more in common than we are apart. We are so similar in the struggles that we faced and the oppression that we faced, that if we can just show love and empathy and support and compassion for each other, we can walk hand in hand and actually end this once and for all. Hmm. We gotta be like rush hour, right, David? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Or Jet Li and Aaliyah. Right? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, not, not rush hour three though, just one and two. <laughs> yeah, rush hour three all right well i mean nothing yeah it's all right it's all right it's all right it's i'm hating i'm being mm. here i just love it because it's a rush hour they were supposed to make a rush hour four y'all know that i did not know it, that it like yeah. fell through or something i'm upset yeah but, i don't know if i'll ever see that but who knows? i guess we will maybe <laughs> yeah <laughs> well um i love this conversation um david i'm, I'm sure you did too thank you so much mm -hmm. olivia for coming on our show and giving your thoughts on the Stop Asian Hate Movement. Um, really enjoyed hearing what you had to say, learning more about you and your experiences. And thank you so much for providing those practical steps um, at the very end. Um, you wanna have, say, uh, say a little bit at the end, uh, say goodbye to the people? I would love to. Thank you so much for listening. Just being here open to this conversation is part of the change that we need. And we're going to link, I'll link a folder with all of the uh, research and topics and things that I talked about today. So you can find all of those materials in one place, including resources on bystander intervention and counter speech. Perfect. Perfect. I love it. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you again. Thank you again so much. Um, and thank you listeners Real. for listening to the sound of water podcast. We are back. Always. You know, we're, we're getting back into it. And, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, until next time. Peace out. Peace. Bye. Be water, my friend.